Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I am your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. We've got your free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. Uh, great study guide and refresher to have uh, no matter who you are. If you're in uh, pharmacy school, nursing school, med school, taking pharmacology classes, uh, you know, recently out in practice, uh, need a little refresher on things, uh, simply an email will get you access to that. So uh, definitely go take advantage of that where I lay out some of the most important clinical practice pearls on the top 200 drugs. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and this is by request. Uh, it is teplizumab. So this is probably a fairly rare drug that you're going to see used in your clinical practice. Um, if you work in diabetes, you're probably more likely to, to be able to see it here. Uh, brand name of this medication is Tzield. And it is a monoclonal antibody, and it is classified uh, as an anti-CD3 uh, antibody. So mechanistically, what this medication does is it delays the onset of stage 3 type 1 diabetes. So it's typically given in patients who have stage 2 type 1 diabetes. Um, so this uh, medication binds CD3, which CD3 is a cell surface antigen, and those specific cells uh, that that antigen is on, that that CD3 uh, antigen is on, is T-cells, and more specifically, uh, CD4 and CD8 T-cells. Now, what's important about these uh, T-cells? So remember, this is part of the immune system, basically. And if you remember killer T-cells uh, from maybe some of your uh, biology classes and things of that nature, uh, these uh, are part of the immune system that destroy things, basically. Um, you know, many times often bacteria and things of that nature um, and provide general immune support. However, in type 1 diabetes, the immune system actually attacks beta cells, which are in the pancreas, and those beta cells produce insulin. So that's how type 1 diabetes develops uh, in the majority of patients. So by using this medication, we can actually uh, blocked, block the action of those T cells on those beta cells, thus preserving the life of those beta cells for a longer period of time and uh, essentially delaying the progression um, and destruction uh, of those, those beta cells. So this can lead to essentially a delay in uh, exogenous insulin therapy for type 1 diabetes patients. So kind of a, a little bit uh, complicated there, but just wanted to kind of lay that out um, to remind you of some of the physiology of type 1 diabetes and where this drug uh, may fit in uh, with its utilization there. So to sum it up simply, remember T-cells attack the immune system and those are 
or excuse me, T cells attack the uh, beta cells. The beta cells are responsible for insulin production. So in type 1 diabetes, if we have that happen, um, that's ultimately going to lead to the uh, elimination of insulin, or the body cannot produce insulin if those beta cells are gone. All right, let's get into the drug a little bit more specifically. Uh, the dosing of this medication is based off of body surface area. Uh, I'm not going to go into you know the specific doses um, and that type of thing. Uh, however, there is a dose escalation over the period of five days uh, with a total treatment duration of 14 days. So why the dose escalation? Uh, there is a potential issue called cytokine release syndrome, and essentially it can cause flu-like symptoms and can be very, very significant in some cases. So that's why we uh, have that dose titration, or that's why it's important, one of the reasons why it's important to follow that dose titration. So that cytokine release syndrome from this medication can cause fever, uh, nausea, vomiting, uh, achiness, uh, headaches, rash. Even if severe enough, it can cause some cardiovascular changes like tachycardia and drop in blood pressure. Uh, and in rare cases, can cause some uh, respiratory or breathing issues as well. Uh, so that's an important thing to remember. And from a pharmacotherapy standpoint, we're actually going to pre-medicate uh, when giving this medication. So uh, if you work in diabetes care uh, and you're seeing the use of this medication, uh, that's probably a good role uh, if you're you know, not the specialist directly prescribing it. Um, but that's a good role for you to recognize that this medication can cause uh, that cytokine release syndrome and we should be typically pre-medicating um, with uh, analgesics like an NSAID or acetaminophen uh, those are also antipyretics. They help uh, prevent that fever. Uh, antihistamines uh, and or possibly antiemetics, so drugs that uh, can reduce the incidence of nausea and vomiting as well. So definitely really, really important, I think, to remember that with this, this medication. Uh, other rare things uh, as far as an adverse drug reaction profile goes, uh, it can cause lymphocytopenia as well as leukopenia and neutropenia. So essentially suppressing the uh, white blood cells and things of that nature and suppressing the immune system in general. Uh, hypersensitivity reactions have been reported with administration of this medication as well. And you know, with the drop in value potentially with like leukopenia and neutropenia, uh, that can increase the risk for infections. So that is definitely something to uh, pay attention to with the use of teplizumab. And it is not recommended uh, to give this medication if you've got a patient with an active uh, infection going on. Remember, these um, this medication suppresses uh, those T cells, which uh, obviously help fight off infection. Uh, and then I did want to mention... Uh, vaccines. So it's important to get vaccination status. Uh, this is a medication that may be given, that's likely going to be given in younger patients. Um, so uh, making sure that our vaccines 
or our vaccine schedule is completed and up to date is really, really important. Um, it is recommended to give uh, live vaccines at least eight weeks before initiation of this drug. Or if we give teplizumab, uh, or if we've already given it without taking into account vaccination status, uh, it's recommended for live vaccines to actually wait a year uh, after completion of the, the uh, uh, dosages. With inactivated vaccines, it's a little less strict. Uh, so generally, we want to give them at least two weeks before administration or six weeks after completion. So um, definitely vaccination status is really, really important. And I think that kind of uh, also demonstrates the importance of understanding the mechanism of action uh, and how it can potentially uh, suppress the immune system there. Uh, of course, I've got to mention the cost of this medication. It is, um, if you look, there's various estimates out there, um, you know, eight to $13,000 for a dose. Um, and keep in mind, we're giving this medication uh, over the course of uh, 14 days. So we're looking at a hundred dollars to $200,000 uh, bill um, by the time that we're done using this medication for a patient's course of therapy. So uh, definitely uh, some challenges there. Uh, and I think if you're, you know, one of the folks in charge of compounding this medication or you see an order for it, um, definitely recognize that we uh, should be a little bit cautious, maybe extra cautious with uh, the handling of that. And uh, we could definitely incur some significant cost expense uh, if we're not getting the dose uh, to the patient and uh, inappropriately wasting this medication. Um, monitoring parameters, I think, are probably fairly obvious from some of the adverse effects that I, I mentioned. Um, thinking about the suppression of uh, white blood cell production and things of that nature. Uh, CBC with uh, white blood cell count and and uh, neutrophils and things of that nature are going to be important to monitor there. Uh, LFTs, uh, this um, can actually, this medication can actually cause an increase in LFTs. Uh, so that's an important monitoring parameter there as well. And it's important not to give this medication too uh, if we've got a, a pre-existing liver issues and elevations in LFTs there too. So uh, pay attention to that. Uh, and then last, uh, lastly, I want to mention uh, blood pressure and heart rate. Um, probably more so important uh, in patients who are probably displaying signs of that cytokine release syndrome. Remember I said it can cause some tachycardia. Uh, it can also cause some hypotension. Uh, so remember that if we're uh, seeing a patient that's displaying some of those signs and symptoms of that cytokine release syndrome. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study material like BCPS, ambulatory care, NAPLEX, BCMTMS, or others, go check out meded101.com store. We've got a growing list of resources uh, have helped thousands of candidates prepare and pass their board exams. So uh, go support the sponsor, meded101.com store. Uh, if you're another healthcare professional listening to this, uh, we've got 
tons of content on case studies, drug interactions, all sorts of books and resources on Amazon. Uh, all those links you can find at meded101.com slash store. All right, wrapping up with drug interactions. With monoclonal antibodies in general, um, we typically don't have any like CYP enzyme interactions to worry about. Um, so from a, a drug interaction standpoint, it, it's, it doesn't have a ton of them. Uh, there are two things that kind of align with the adverse effect profile. And the one I already discussed quite a bit about vaccines and how um, using this medication around the time of giving a vaccine uh, is going to likely suppress the effectiveness of that vaccine. Okay. So that's why I talked about those timing things before. So uh, that's, that's point one when it comes to uh, drug interactions and reduced effectiveness. Uh, the other important point I want to make is the immunosuppression risk. So if we've got a patient on other meds that can suppress the immune system and we add teplizumab on top of that medic on top of that medication, uh, that can obviously kind of have a cumulative effect, an additive effect uh, in causing more immunosuppression than maybe we would like. So some of the medications that you know I think of, and these may or may not be used in the patient population that's taking um, this medication in general, um, but I think it's important to recognize there are definitely some, some medications that can cause some immunosuppression and potentially additive effects. So um, clozapine is a good example that's associated um, with some uh, drops in, in white blood cell count. Uh, 5-ASA uh, type agents, uh, that can be used in, you know, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, uh, immunosuppressive agents like tacrolimus, maybe cyclosporin, any medications that are used for uh, transplantation and, again, suppressing that immune system further. Uh, these are all medications that can uh, kind of have additive effects on top of what teplizumab uh, is doing to the immune system. So I think it is important to recognize that fact. Um, at a minimum, monitor for infection, uh, and then, of course, uh, try to avoid uh, concomitantly using these medications together if you can help it. But there are certainly going to be cases where we may not be able to uh, avoid using them together. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you enjoyed this episode, found it helpful, please do me a huge favor. Leave a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you've got comments, suggestions, reach out to me at mededucation101 at gmail.com. Uh, also, we've got uh, plenty of other supplemental content available. Uh, you can support the podcast by uh, going to meded101.com slash store and purchasing any of the resources there. Uh, lots of good stuff on drug interactions, polypharmacy, uh, as well as some study materials for various board certifications. So, again, support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store. And I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Hope you found some benefit here. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.